Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 332. Oh, my God. I don't want to do this episode. I just want to listen to the new Fiona Apple album. Whew. What is this podcast? I am Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. You know my Netflix specials. I'm in a die alone, and I feel fine. And the follow-up, just keep living. This is not a comedy special, but it is me talking about my real life, the human side of a comedian. It's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, always real. And this is where you can get to know the real me. So, solo podcast, enjoy yourself. I am part of the Sklarbro Country podcast family. My pals, the Sklar Brothers, great comedians, have um, put together a podcast family, a network, if you will. And you can check out all the other great podcasts at Sklarbro Country, S-K-L-A-R-B-R-O, country.com slash podcasts and check out their podcast dumb people town boy is it it's always funny but so relevant these days right so what are we going to talk about this week I've I know that people are sick of hearing about COVID-19 coronavirus whatever your favorite thing to call it is so we're going to have COVID corner at the uh not the end of the episode but but at a certain point in the episode just a little I'll do it so that you know what it is. And if you don't like it, you can fast forward. So we'll have COVID corner today where we'll talk about things related to it. Again, they're not going to be deep scientific things. So what are we going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about having a pen pal from Japan when I was a kid. A guy at a job I had who got real defensive about divorce parties. Having eyelid eczema. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a fun it's a funny part. 
We'll read some listener emails. I'm going to read an article. Um, that has to do with COVID. Maybe that'll be in COVID corner. About people are terrible at sitting alone in their own thoughts. And again, some listener emails. And then we'll get the fuck out of here and you can go live your lives. So, I was thinking today about the internet. And you know, again, Gen X, I'm very obsessed with being Gen X, not just because I am, but we are the only generation that is still relatively young that did not have the internet growing up, did not have smartphones, cell phones. We were completely analog like our parents were. And in our later teen years and early 20s is when technology started coming into our lives. And so we've lived two different lives, two different existences on planet Earth. And sometimes I can get jealous of people that have access to the internet. Uh, I mean, I have access to the internet, not to brag. <laughs> I've got a 5G network up in here. But I can get jealous that there are some people who've always had the internet since they were young. And it's, it's led me to make up my own fantasy about what that must be like. And and what I've decided when I'm in that mode where I'm just deciding for other people what their life was like, isn't that the worst when people do that? Is that they felt the world was really a small place and so therefore nothing really scared them and it made the thought of travel easy, even if you know you couldn't afford it, but it didn't scare you to think about going to Japan from San Francisco or going to Australia from New York City. And I always think, oh, it, it makes them so tolerant and closer to other cultures, but it really doesn't because if you've had a thing your whole life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are using it for the right reasons or appreciating it or blah, blah, blah. And, and same with me. Um, I'm not here to impugn the generations under me, but oh my God, could everyone stop calling young people millennials. Millennials aren't young anymore. Sorry, bitches. <laughs> it's Gen Z. Millennials aren't this. Millennials aren't that. What? They're, they also apparently don't seem to be aging. Why don't you write an article about that? <laughs> Millennials are still graduating college? I don't think so. For fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. Um, so I was thinking about how impossibly giant the world seemed to me growing up. Really, the, the thought of going to Japan would have been like going to the moon. And I was really appreciative of learning new things, the excitement of new cultures. And I guess I have this wrong assumption that Young people can't experience that now because of the internet, that, that you wouldn't have a pen and paper pen pal, that you would be jaded already at maybe age 10 about another culture because you can just go on TikTok and see someone from South Korea doing K-pop or you can, I don't know, I, I, I all, and again, all of that's really good, but it, in my fantasy world, it, it, it's, it's like the ride, it's a small world at Disney. Well, less stereotypical, but 
everyone's coming together. You go on a little boat ride and it's, you know, we're all appreciating each other's cultures. And I think, well, that's one good thing the internet did, but, but I don't know if it did that. Certainly wasn't the goal of the internet, but it's a nice byproduct in a lot of ways. And again, like anything, I'm sure it's a little bit that, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. So of course there's no black or white, but I wanted to talk about having a pen pal and I wanted to know if you guys had one growing up, if you have kids, if you encourage them to have pen pals, or if the idea seems antiquated and you don't understand why you wouldn't just email someone. So I had a pen pal who then became a real life pal. I don't, it's so interesting as you get older, it's just details, they're just gone. I had a pen pal named Michiko, and I don't remember her last name, and she was from Japan. I don't remember if I chose to have a pen pal from Japan, if she was assigned to me. I don't know if I knew that she was going to end up being in my fifth grade class. I mean, at some point I knew all of this. I'm saying I don't remember. But the deal is she was my pen pal, and then she was my real life pal. And I remember writing her letters. And of course, I knew what stationery was. I probably had stationery, but I didn't, that wasn't what I wrote letters on. In our family, we had these, have you ever seen a miniature size legal pad? It was like that, but it wasn't yellow striped. It was just white, just plain white from CVS. And it was a book of those and then little envelopes next to it. Not the big kind that you put a check in, but smaller. And that was in my dad's secretary, um, not the piece of furniture. My dad actually had a secretary who lived with us. She stood in a corner. And when we needed something, we would open her mouth and pull it out. It was really weird. Not, I mean, kidding. But at my dad's um, desk, I guess you would call it, in our dining room. But it was a, uh, you know, you pulled it down. And it was a, he didn't sit at it, even though there was an area that you could pull out and sit at. But it was more this general thing where he kept his rolled coins and the mail and so in the top drawer of the secretary I can still feel it you open it up can't open it too far it'll fall out on you you take the white CVS paper you get a pen from the jar and you start writing and I used to feel so grown up I'm getting the adult paper from the drawer this is what my grown-up mom and dad write on when they need to mail someone a note and I would write my friend Michiko and I would tell her about my life in America. And I wish I, I wish I still had those letters. I have no clue, no clue, no clue. So, you know, I'd wait. I don't know how long I'd wait. Two weeks maybe? I don't know. And I would get a letter back from her in the mail. And the most exciting part that you didn't anticipate as a kid is that there is all these stamps, and I don't mean lick or paste stamps, but cha-chung stamps, stamp pad stamps, all over it. It looked like a cartoon, you know? I, I, I feel like there was some cartoon episode where uh, some cartoon character, Bugs Bunny, flew himself around the world and he came back with all of these stickers and stamps on him. I was obsessed with the world when I was younger and that I saw stamps. It had gone through... I don't know this custom or that thing. And, and then the lick and paste stamps that she had put on the envelope 
had Japanese letters on them and things I'd never seen and things you could not just go buy in America. Not that you can do that now, but it only could exist if someone from Japan knew who I was, put something in an envelope and mailed it to me and it went through all these different, that was a miracle to me. And God, we have to save the post office, you guys. Just go to usps.com and buy one book of stamps, anything. Um, it's not, don't just mail a letter. It's financially they need to be bailed out because uh, Trump and the government are trying to kill the post office. And as I've talked about on previous episodes, I'm a big fan of the post office. It's a miracle. So anyway, I had the envelope in my hand. And I remember in that moment, not feeling shame, that's a strong word, but feeling, oh, Gee, I was so proud of myself with my grown-up white pad. And she's blowing my mind with her stationery. It was paper I had never felt before. It was pink. And when you opened the envelope, there were designs on the inside of the envelope. And and the letter, the, the paper she wrote me on was so delicate. It was like this crepey, rice papery, almost sheer feeling, but it wasn't breakable or delicate. It was so beautiful. And that's when you go, is this everyone in Japan or is this just Michiko? Is she just like this or is this Japanese stationery? And, and again, it's a little bit of both. And that was just like, wow, who knew there was such cool shit other places? And, and it might sound stupid, but I kind of am proud that I had that kind of naivete as a kid. That Because it, it meant so much when you did learn something. It wasn't just like, yeah, of course shit's different in other places. It's like, well, I, I know, but I'm getting to see it. It's really cool. And, you know, there's actually a Weezer song about this. Not about my pen pal Machiko, but it's actually the grossest song because he's talking about a teenage girl that writes him from her bedroom in Japan and she's got this really nice stationery. And, you know, he's a grown man in a band and it's so gross, but it's kind of an awesome song, like musically, you know, Across the Sea. It's on the Pinkerton album. Um, anyway. Your way across the sea. I could never touch you. I think it would be wrong. <laughs> I've got your letter, you've got my song. Is such a gorgeous lyric. And it ruins it with this, I could never touch you. I think it would be wrong. D- Forget that. How about in real life, you got a letter from an underage Japanese girl that you're probably attracted to because you're a fucking freak in a band. But then use your artistic license and make the song about two grown-ups or maybe from the perspective of a teenager. Maybe there's a teenage guy in a band and a teenager writes a teenager. And the notion of why are you so far away? Well, I have your physical letter and you have my song. That's what we have. That's gorgeous. You didn't need to tell me the other part, that um, that this girl is underaged and 
I, I couldn't touch you. It would be wrong. Because you know what that lyric says? I'd like to, but these people with their rules. You know, just shut up with that part. Oh, God. If I could rewrite some of Weezer's lyrics. Anyway. So I loved having a pen pal, and I, I couldn't wait to hear back from her. But I would have to wait. But I didn't even know I was waiting, if that made sense. I didn't even know I was suffering this injustice called waiting. I just lived my life and would get excited in anticipation. I actually got to experience relatively simple and uncomplicated anticipation. It wasn't anxious. It wasn't bratty. I want this now. It was, you know, like waiting for... I feel like the only anticipation that kids have left in this world is their birthday and Santa Claus if they celebrate Christmas. You know, you can't do that stuff just whenever you feel like it. But most other things you can't. Or, you know, maybe if you like school, school starting again after summer. But just the thought that we... Uh, I don't know. Ah, whoops. So... Then Michiko moved to my hometown. I think just for a year she was going to be here. And it was so interesting because she <laughs> she would say racist things about Chinese people. I know you didn't think that's where the story was going, but she would say racist things about Chinese people, which is this weird lesson that you don't go, now when am I going to teach my kid not to be racist. I'll make sure to teach them that soon. But when do I teach them this weird phenomenon that if another race makes fun of another race, that's still racism? Like, I was delighted. I mean, I didn't feel like making fun of Chinese people. I had no particular reason to or any thoughts about Chinese people, to be honest. All I knew about Chinese people was uh, American Chinese food, and I loved a poo-poo platter. My mother and I would go to New Garden, um, the Chinese restaurant in town, if my dad would go on one of his... Um, greenskeeper, groundskeeper meetings where he had to go away once a year. And then I think, because my dad didn't like Chinese food. And so, I, yeah, it was like whenever my mom and I would be alone, we'd go and get a poo-poo platter that was on fire in the middle. I love that sweet duck sauce. And you just dip all the fried wonderfulness in there. And people from Massachusetts will know this. We have a Chinese food dish that is neither Chinese nor food, but it's called crab rangoon, and it's not crab. It's like fried cream cheese inside of a fried situation. And I don't really know where it came from or why we inserted it into Chinese food. You know what? I'm going to look it up as I talk about it. But I found out later in life, Jen, that's not Chinese people don't eat that. Crab rangoon, sometimes called crab puffs, or cheese wontons, or filled crisp dumpling filled crisp dumpling appetizers served in American Chinese and more recently Thai restaurants. But I swear to God, it, it's a Massachusetts thing because other Chinese restaurants I've been to all over America, they don't know what I'm talking about. American Chinese restaurants. Anyway, I don't know the, what's the origin of it? I guess I could ask the origin of it because there's no crab in sight. Or maybe there is and you just can't taste it. I don't know why it's called that. Where did crab rangoon originate? United States. Oh, great, great answer. Could you give me some more detail? I 
someone asked, are cream cheese wontons authentic? If you have to just read that sentence out loud, you kind of can guess the answer is no. The filling is wrapped in a Chinese-style wonton wrapper before deep-fried in oil. In fact, there are very few authentic Chinese dishes that include any kind of cheese. They are thought to have originated at Trader Vic's in San Francisco. It's long rumored that cream cheese wontons were actually invented in Minnesota by none other than Lian Chin. Well, Lian Chin sounds Chinese, so maybe... Maybe it is authentic, but not, it's like, that's perfect combination. That, that makes sense. I'm Minnesota. It's a little bit Chinese, a little bit Minnesotan. Anyway, okay, so Michiko would be racist every once in a while. And because the kids, first of all, she was an other. So the, as we called them, the popular kids, which meant nothing. They were not popular or interesting, but they were just the rich kids that hung out in a pack of other white people. And I, and, and this again is not some kind of like a brag, but I had a lot of diverse friends. Um, I had a Puerto Rican friend, a couple black friends. I'm not like, I'm not like lining up the races, but we did have, um, well, it's funny. I remember my, my Puerto Rican friend, Danielle was adopted from Puerto Rico and she was so She was adopted into like the richest family in our town. Oh my God, the fucking double, triple mansion. It's like she had her own wing. So what was funny is the most popular girl in school, Diane, lived down the street from Danielle. And Diane had always been the richest girl in school until Danielle came to town. And Diane's dad was a lawyer and he was like this famous lawyer that had his own ads on TV. But like, <laughs> and so... She was always the richest girl with the biggest house. And then Danielle came to town and, ooh, can you imagine the white girl upstaged by the Puerto Rican girl who had more money? I mean, that was so delightful. And so Danielle would always teach me about um, being able to be in both worlds, being able to, not being able to, but unfortunately being judged and teased and knowing I'm richer than all of you. I may not dress like it just because I'm like, uh, as we used to call them back then, tomboys. You know, I might be uh, wearing boys' corduroys, but that's not because I'm Puerto Rican. That's probably because I'm a lesbian. She didn't know it yet. But, and not that lesbians have to wear boys' corduroys. Oh, for fuck's sake, you know what I'm saying. And, uh, and she would be like, but I could buy and sell Diane. <laughs> anyway. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. course none of the popular kids assumed she was rich because they were assholes and they saw a Puerto Rican girl didn't assume that but once they found out they were like Danielle Danielle and she was like fuck you people um so anyway so I always had a mixed diverse group of friends from childhood through high school obviously like 80% of the people I knew were white but 
we had some gays, <laughs> all different colors. We had a, I had a deaf friend who lived down the street from me and his name was David. He was just like a neighbor. You know, he'd always lived down the street. We were the same age. And I was always self-conscious around him because I didn't know if he could hear me because he could sort of hear and he would like half talk sign language to people because he couldn't get out of the habit. And his parents, his parents were deaf too, but they were more mute as well. So I know that that probably isn't the politically correct term anymore. Oh God, this episode is so, uh, forgive me. I am from another generation, but they, um, didn't use their voices at all. So it was all sign language all the time. And David talked a little bit, but he had, you know, a kind of distorted speech. He was, you know, so he kind of makes sounds and I can't, I can't do it, but it was like very breathy, whispery, like it was kind of hard to understand him sometimes. So he was, um, I don't know my point. He was made fun of, obviously, for, for being deaf. But people were more racist than they were um, anti-anyone with any kind of physical disability because people are, well, p- people are just awful. It's, I think we've uh, established it. But anyway, but I thought, like, these are these weird little things I learned. I'll get back to, to, to Michiko. I, I didn't realize that if you were, you know, I'm like eight years old and, you know, I, I talked to my neighbor up the street, Chris, about this or that, or my neighbor, Katie, you know, kids running around. I thought, I don't know what to talk to David about because he's deaf. Like, I just, I guess I just thought if you're deaf, you just talk about deaf things. So I, I read a book about Helen Keller (laughs) so I could talk to David about being deaf. And he was like, you don't have to talk to me about being deaf just because I'm deaf. He's like, actually, I'm really into Mickey Mantle. And I was like, who is that? And he was like, he was, was he on the Mets? Um, and he just wanted to talk about baseball cards and Mickey Mantle. And I was like, oh, David, God bless you. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're deaf. But I don't give a shit about Mickey Mantle. Um, oh, no, he was on the Yankees. Oh, no, is that a Yankees cap or a Mets cap? Oh, no, he was on the Yankees. Yeah. Anyway, so Mickey Mantle was his hero. And that's what he wanted to talk about. And... I, that was kind of when I learned, oh, okay, oh, I see. Okay, just happens to be deaf. It's not like his thing, you know. And so I had another learning opportunity that next year with Michiko. So in order to, of course, now her family, her family kicked the dick off Puerto Rican Danielle's rich family. Michiko's family were like, top dogs at Sanrio in Japan. That is the Hello Kitty manufacturer. Her dad was fucking globally wealthy. And so, I mean, she had real money. And so nobody knew that. I knew that. That's not why I was her friend, but I sort of deducted it from um, how she told me her dad runs Hello Kitty. When she comes to America, she's going to give me stuff. And I was like, holy shit. So you know, and their entire garage was just filled. It looked like a drug deal was going on. It was just, and, you know, so the popular kids were mean to her. Oh, there's a Japanese person. Let's be mean. I mean, where does that even come from in your heart? I didn't have that. Of course, I had white privilege and blind spots and things to learn, but the notion of like, ugh, she, it was just so gross. The kids I grew up with were so fucking gross. I hope they all remember this about themselves and are ashamed of themselves because they were, shit. And a lot of them come to my shows. They're like, Hey, and I'm, I just want to go, I hope you're not raising your kids to be anything like you when you were younger. 
because you were all trash, garbage children. So, like, I remember in first grade, we had this teacher, Mrs. Um, Mrs. Gordon. She had narcolepsy. It took her six months to read us James and the Giant Peach. I'm not fucking kidding because she kept falling asleep. She would read a little every day, and then she'd be like, and James went down the street, and then she would just, if you have the video version, you can see James. And her head would just hang, and we'd look at each other like, well, she's still breathing. Well, I guess we'll just entertain ourselves till she wakes up. Like, you didn't know back then that you could go, hey, wake up, or maybe we should call someone. She just literally had narcolepsy. Happened every day. And I remember one day she said, kids, we're not going to read today. I'm gonna, we're going to have a talk. I would always get this, like, drama addiction when that would happen at school when you knew something bad had happened. And the teachers would talk in a different voice, and they'd gather us around. I'd be like, what went down? But this one I actually didn't like. She said there are um, anti-Semitics in town. Now, this I was six. I was like, what the fuck's an anti-Semitic? And she said, um, somebody drew a swastika on someone's house. Now, I knew what a swastika was, and I knew what Hitler was, and I, and I knew what the Holocaust was. And I was like, I didn't know that you could still have anything to do with a swastika in 1980. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know you could see one in my hometown. I thought we were done, you know, a, a six-year-old point of view in 1980 about the Holocaust. I didn't know. And she said someone spray-painted on someone's house, die Jew, our town, a big Jewish um, population. And I was, a ton of my friends were Jewish. I, I literally threw up in my hands. I was shaking because I just didn't know that there could be what I later learned were neo-Nazis in my town. And by the way, a lot of the punk rock kids became neo-Nazis in high school. And that's, that's where I learned that like, oh, like liberals can be just as bad um, in that sense of, not liberals, but like, because um, they weren't politically liberal, but like you see someone that looks all punk rock and different and they have really terrible ideas. So Anyway, and a lot of my high school years with my high school friends were spent, like, battling these kids and trying to teach them tolerance towards gay people. Like, they were leaving, um, they were leaving shit, probably dog shit, but they said it was human shit, on people's doorsteps that they thought were gay or, like, guys in the musical or guys that were friends with Jewish people. Like, it was fucking insane. And so, anyway, that's why I get so mad when Bernie Sanders supporters call me anti-Semitic. I'm like, you are you fucking mind like I lived through the fucking late 80s like neo-nazi resurgence when you know like half of the my friends turned into them and I had to battle them and that, it, like just fuck off oh anyway so not my friend friends but like people in my little weird group so anyway Michiko comes to town before anyone knows she's rich people are mean to her because she's Japanese so I try to stick up for her. She's like, I don't, I don't need your shit. Oh, okay. So she gathers the popular girls around on the playground. And they're like, what are you? Are you Chinese? And this is what Michiko would do. She'd go, no, I'm Japanese. And she would say, this is how you know the difference. Japanese people are beautiful. And then she would do a crazy accent and go, Chinese people are ugly. And she would slant her eyes with her hands. And everyone would die laughing because it was extra funny coming from a Japanese person because to them, that's all the same. Japanese, Chinese, I don't know. 
And so I used to think it was kind of funny too. And I don't know how I realized it if someone told, oh, my friend. Um, I had a friend, Rei Matsumiya, who's American Japanese. And he was like, she's racist. Like, she's doing a racist joke. And I was like, she is? And I was like, but she can't be racist. She's Japanese. He's like, racism isn't just for white people. I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> this is, these are the conversations I'm having with some of my friends at 10. And uh, I remember because Ray and I were walking home from school. And I don't know how, like, if you only knew how easy it was to get from my house to the school's two streets. You walk down one, you turn down another, you just keep going till you see a school. We somehow got lost because we went, I don't know how we did. And it was like, you know, lost to a 10-year-old. We were having some in-depth conversation about something. And then a police car drove by and I was like, I don't know how to get back home. So I flagged it down and he got scared and ran off. And I was like, can I get a ride home? And the cops were like, totally. So Anyway, but I do remember him. I, maybe it was on that walk where he told me that. And then I think I tried to tell Michiko, like, you don't have to, you don't have to be racist to be funny to get them to like you. And then I think she was just like, I don't even know what you're saying, but um, now they like me because I showed them all my Hello Kitty stuff. And she was like, but I only show them. You get some. <laughs> so anyway. That's my life of having a pen pal who turned into a real pal. I don't know where she is anymore. Um, I, hope she's, I hope she's kicking so much ass. And uh, I'm sure she's easy. I, I could probably, I have a feeling if I type Michiko, like she would say that name in Japan is like Jen, Jennifer in America. So, I mean, you guys can find her if you want. I, I wouldn't, it's probably a little creepy, but... Um, so there you go. So that's my story of childhood, and ooh, that went a, that went a bunch of different places, didn't it? Oh man, thanks for supporting this podcast. I'm losing a lot of my ad revenue. Actually, most of it, uh, about eighty percent of it, due to um, everything that's going on in the world and people cracking down. Um, and it's really becoming clear to me that the gigs that I had lined up for summer and fall. Uh, at least the spring and summer ones, I'm definitely canceling. Uh, fall, I'm not sure um, what's going to happen, but that was going to be about 40% of my income. So if you join the Patreon, you can help support an artist that you like. I will not be doing one of those live stand-up shows and charging people. This is what I'm doing. I always see my podcast as sort of a one-hour improvised comedy special in its own way. I certainly actually kind of find it more interesting to do sometimes than stand-up. And if you join my Patreon, even at just $5 a month, you get four, obviously you get all the episodes, but you get them as video feeds and you get one 20 minute bonus episode every month. And you just get extra little random things. I'm always throwing up surprise bonuses on Patreon. And then there's a 10, 15, 20 and $25 level. Each level you get more bonus content and then it starts getting into free exclusive merchandise that you can't buy anywhere else. So there you go. And I've recorded a lot of my stand up on the road over the past couple years. So I'll be releasing either entire hours if you're on the upper level or, you know, five to 15 minute chunks for the other levels. I release a couple of those every month. So there you go. I would love your support if you certainly can afford it. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Now, a lot of times when I talk about things like this, people get it in their heads. Oh my God, she needs my help. Uh, can I mail you any food? Uh, I'm going to pay a hundred dollars a month. It's like everyone relax. All I want is people to support 
the work that I put out there that cost me money to do. That's all. I'm just trying to make a living doing what I do. And before the pandemic, I was planning on making a living or supplementing some of my income with Patreon so that I could tour less. Um, and, you know, right now I make about a tenth of what I would make a month on tour. So, you know, it's not like killing it, but it's definitely great. And so, but nobody needs to like worry about me. I'm of course fine. I'm a perfectly content middle-class member of society, but <laughs> just, if you want to pay for what I do, there's a way to do it. I don't need anything else. So there's that. Um, what else can I tell you? I feel like, do I need to plug anything else before we get going into the next part of the episode? Well, let's read some listener emails. And then we'll end with COVID corner. Hi, Jen. I'd like to hear your views on home decorations at Easter. I know you love Christmas decorations, but do you put up anything for Easter from Kate? Well, you know, speaking of decor, I wanted to take you into my... We're in my dining room right now, and my home office is back there. So it's just this little nook that I really love. So... um. This is a candle from a company called Homesick, scented candle, and they each have, it's like different cities and different states, so there's like New York City, Los Angeles, Paris, but then also I think they have all 50 states, and the scents are supposed to mimic something about the city or the state. Now, you may say, New York City, does it smell like rats in the subway? No, it's supposed to smell like the smell you would smell in all the like big-time department stores there, you know? I actually can't smell a damn thing, and I hope I don't have coronavirus. Hang on one sec. Oh, no, I smell it. I just have a very, very uh, underdeveloped sense of smell. And then this is a typewriter from, I think, like, Germany in the 20s. Um, and a former agent of mine. She's n just not an agent anymore, but anyway, she gave that to me. Those are flowers. That, this is a... Um, letter that I wrote to Dynamite Magazine when I was a kid. Now, if you don't know what Dynamite Magazine is, oh, how's this fun outfit? <laughs> I'm wearing like basketball shorts and a big shirt. Oh, oh, geez. Um, Dynamite Magazine was a magazine from the 70s. You know, you might find like your Fonzie on the cover, but it was kind of, it was for kids. It wasn't teen beat sexy. It, was, it had, like, wackiness and a sense of humor to it. Maybe it was similar to Mad Magazine. I almost thought that was more of a boy thing. But Dynamite, I sent this in 1985, so I was 11 or 10. No, I remember doing it. I was 10, so I was in fifth grade. And it was a, it was a section of Dynamite called Psst, Pass It On. It was like the reader section says, send your news notes and nuttiness to pass it on, care of dynamite, 730 Broadway, New York, New York. I was like, I can send something to New York City again. Then an email, get my little pad of paper, write out something to Dynamite Magazine, put it in the mail, and someone's going to carry it to New York City. Oh, my God. And then someone in New York City is going to read something that me, little Jen Kirkman, wrote, and they're going to put it in a magazine. Oh, my God. And so I wrote this thing, which is strangely sexual, but I don't know if they I think they said, hey, um, send us your jokes or something. 
I, I don't know where I came up with this concept. I probably stole it from something, to be quite honest. Dear Dynamite, here are a few things you never hear one grown-up say to another grown-up. One, you deserve a spanking. <laughs> oh, honey, they do say that. Two, don't talk with your mouth full. I think they do as well. <laughs> Ever see a married couple at a restaurant of 40 years? Three, eat your vegetables now. There's no like build up, you know, comedy rule of threes. I mean, at least three things, rule of free threes. I had that right. But uh, <laughs> no, didn't end with a bang. Uh, Jennifer Kirkman, Needham, Massachusetts. Dear Jennifer, thanks for the sayings. What about the rest of you? Do you know any other things you'll never hear one grown up say to another? See, I don't know if I came up with that concept or if they asked. Um, okay, this other girl, Ann Walters in Muncie, Indiana. God, I, what, are you, what are you up to, Ann? She wrote this. Dear Dynamite, I heard about your sticker stop, and I decided to drop you a line. I love stickers very much, and I have 515 stickers, including Sniffy, Sparklies, Puffies, Fuzzies, which are really in right now. She put in in quotes. My friends and I have a club we call the Midnight Snack Club, and we're hoping to get something going with stickers. While I'm writing, I'd like to get more information on Duran Duran. They're my second favorite thing next to stickers. <laughs> and it's so funny. It's so funny because, um, you know, years later, I'd grow up to actually be a writer, thank you very much, who lives in New York City, thank you very much. Uh, and, man, that is hanging up there by a very thin thread. It's amazing it hasn't fallen. And, uh, and then I went on to do um, an episode of BBC Radio with Simon Laban maybe three, four years ago, and I didn't have a crush on Duran Duran. They weren't my guys. And mainly, I like barely knew what they looked like. And, and even looking back, I'm like, no, nah, they weren't my people. I went for a little more weird kind of guy. And so um, I, I'd never seen a music video because my parents didn't have MTV and wouldn't allow me to watch music videos. And uh, so when I met him, there was this vibe he was giving me that he was like, oh, I know. I can tell by her age that she must be pretty excited to meet me because I'm right in the wheelhouse of when she was like 10 years old. And uh, when we were doing the interview, the host was like, oh, Jen, you must be pretty excited to be here with Simon LeVon. You, you know, probably a big Duran Duran fan. And I was like, I, I like Duran Duran, but I never saw one of your videos. And he was like, what? And I was like, I can, I can only guess there was a lot of hot girls on yachts. Was that the vibe? And he was like, <laughs> I wasn't being mean. I was just laughing. Anyway, he was really nice. He was fun. Um. Anyway, so that's a listener email. And then Kate sent me a cute, cute picture of she had this little tree in what looked like a foyer kind of area, like a little branchy tree with Easter eggs hanging from it. I think they were plastic. Um, that was so adorable. I don't decorate for Easter or anything else. Mainly, I just don't have the storage in my place. And it's really, for me, Christmas is, like, the other times a year I don't need to decorate. You know, like Easter is about spring and rebirth and, and all that. So I usually just have fresh flowers, and that's kind of, you know, Eastery in my opinion. But I don't really decorate for anything else. I would love to, I just, if I had a house that faced the street, I would really go all out for Halloween. I'd have, you know, I mean, I used to love to decorate for Halloween as a kid. I would have the total, like, gravestones on the yard. Or if I didn't have, like, a total spooky setup, I'd at least have, like, the jack-o'-lantern facing out the window, you know, something, something tasteful. But as it stands, no, I do have like, I think I have like a skull. I have a skull um, 
planter that I put plants in, you know, around the fall, like Day of the Dead looking thing. And then, you know, like a pumpkin, like a glass pumpkin that you can put a candle in. So I might put those out in my home, like around Halloween, but really it's Christmas from November to January. And then the other months, I'm just kind of content with what, with what it is. Um, another listener email. Jen. Oh, so somebody wrote me months ago and I read their email and they, they wanted to be more motivated to do chores and to, to do things. They had been feeling a little depressed and somebody, uh, somebody wicked smart sounding sent me an email about something they learned recently. Um, this, this emailer has ADHD. Uh, I don't know their name. Hey, Jen, I've been thinking about what you said about chores and how you just have to do them and you'll never be motivated to do them. I learned a cool thing recently. I have ADHD and someone I know who is a neuroscientist is writing a book about neurodivergent versus neurotypical people and their differences. One of the main differences, she said, is in mundane tasks. Neurotypical people get a little bit of dopamine with every mundane task like dishes and paperwork. It's SMA, so they don't notice it. And it still kind of registers as a mundane task, but it benefits them. And they say things like, well, nobody likes doing chores, but they actually do feel good when they do the things. That's me. I do get a hit. Oh, I get such a hit. <clears throat> so, but I never feel motivated. Yeah, right, right, right. Neurodivergent people typ typically don't get that hit of dopamine from chores. They get nothing. So it's truly mundane. They need something much bigger to get big hits of dopamine. This neuroscientist herself says she needs to climb a mountain to feel alive. I need to perform for an audience or have a big dance party. Oh, I see. Yeah, I have to travel alone somewhere to feel alive. That's where I get my little excitement hits. Um, it makes me feel really wild and adventurous to kind of not know where I am and not know anybody there. Uh, that's where I get the big dopamine hits. That's why when I travel, I just, I smile thinking about it. I literally high when I travel. Um, literally high on my own supply, my own dopamine. Um, but I do get the, the minuscule, like, ooh, like I completed a task feeling when I do chores. Anyway, knowing that about my brain actually helps me when I'm feeling like I can't do mundane things. It's not my fault that this is hard. It's not because I'm lazy or unmotivated. And other people aren't more motivated or hardworking. It's just that their brains work differently. So now when I complete a task, I do feel a sense of accomplishment because I know it's particularly hard for me. But I also don't beat myself up if I leave the dishes for a night. Hope that helps the person that wrote. Oh, I think it will. I love it. Those are great emails. Thanks, y'alls. Um, oh, there's so many more emails, y'alls. I gotta, I just gotta spread them out. I gotta spread them out. Feel free to send me an email about anything. I seem fun at gmail.com. And let me know if you want me to read it on air. I mean, hopefully that's why you're sending it. I, I, I do get a lot of emails. I can't really, like, sometimes comprehend the amount. Um, but tell me if you want me to read it on air. And I will. Because I, I like when you guys bring up topics for me to talk about. So let's do some fun things. Oh, Let's go to... COVID corner, COVID corner, boop bee doop, it's COVID corner. So I have been uh, 
I, I will not leave my house anymore because of the insane, you know, I live in a suburb, but it's a suburb of Los Angeles and in and of itself, it is its own city, but it's way, way less, um, there's not traffic, there's not people everywhere. I live on just tree-lined streets that are houses and condos and apartments. It's not, you know, it's not like a New York City street or even a West Hollywood street in Los Angeles. But it's, um, you know, there's at least four or five people that I can see at a time on the street, and they just won't wear the damn masks. And okay, don't wear a mask, but don't be jogging and spitting. And that's what they're doing, and they come right up close. And now they're saying, you could get this shit from 60 feet away. It travels so well outside if you're huffing and puffing like the big bad wolf. And families, you know, so if you've got four people, imagine all that breath and talking and path. They're not in masks and they're taking up the whole sidewalks. I always just walk down the middle of the street anyway because, again, it's that kind of a quiet, sleepy little part that I live in where it's not cars every second. But... I think it's weird that I have to, I'm in a mask, walk down the middle of the street to avoid people on bikes, people with dogs, people with families, people jogging. These so many uh, inconsiderate assholes. And again, blown away by the amount of families I see without masks. So my mental defect is that I take that as a sign to feel superior towards them to make up for all the years I was made to feel inferior for not having kids and told that I was selfish. Again, I don't know. So I've been doing my ballet beautiful, which is actually a way better workout than walking. And I have a little balcony deck. So I sit out there. It's, it's, you could like nap out there. It's great. Nice, big, cozy furniture. It's just a small space, but I'm outside, you know. So um, it makes me feel better because I just get too angry and stressed when I'm walking around the neighborhood. And I know I could drive to a quieter neighborhood, but they, that's sort of not the point of this. You know, it's, it's, it makes it hard, easier to spread things. Like, just I'm just going to stay where I am. I'll, I'll be fine, you know. And um, But what I'm doing a lot of is things that I used to just do in my car. You know, I don't know when it happened, but I was always obsessed with music growing up. I had, you know, the stereo that my sisters left behind with those separate speakers of big, big, big speakers that were heavy to move. And I had my 8-track and my records and my Led Zeppelin. And I would blare music, you know, just I'm a blarer of music, just disturb the neighbors, loud music, even not just rock and roll. I like classical music. I'll blare Beethoven up your ass. I don't care. So then as things got less, as things got more portable, I became less sound-oriented, and of course now I live in a condo, so I can't be too crazy. I have a sound bar on my TV that that I can connect to my Bluetooth, and I have one of these Bose things. It actually sounds pretty good, but I, I don't have the big speaker stuff that I used to, and I actually don't like the way it looks, so I don't want that, but, um, you know, I may invest in like a bigger, better Bose kind of thing at some point, uh, but but the car... Since I moved to Los Angeles, when I lived in New York, the headphones that was where I experienced music. I probably can't hear because of it. And, you know, blaring music in my headphones, walking around. That's how I experienced music. In L.A., it turned into the car. And now that 
you know, I'm not driving anywhere, I realized oh, I haven't been listening to music. And I got Fiona, album, Fiona Apple's new album. And I was like, oh, I'll, I don't know, I'll listen to it eventually. And then I just put it on. And I actually sat and listened to music, a thing I hadn't done in so long. And then I made up dances. And then I got a good workout from that. But I love her new album. It's called Fetch the Bolt Cutters. And when I heard the name at first, I was like, what is that? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, fetch. Go get the, the things that cut the bolt. Go get the big pliers. But sometimes when I hear a name, if it's not like, Love songs. I'm like, what is that? I don't get it. It's too many things. Like, come, just call something normal. I don't know why I get like that. But this COVID-19 quarantine has led me to blaring music in my home again, which I love. And I just love this album. And I highly recommend it. And, you know, I never want to talk about music or hear recommendations because I'm that kind of jerk. But this is the uh, title song. And I just love it. I've been thinking about when I was okay, so, but then. Uh, hang on. There's just a lot of interesting sounds on this album, too. Oh, where's the... She's just so badass, too. Like, I'm going to talk about her in a minute. I, this is what I want the... Uh, the millennials and the Gen Z to know. It's the bolt cutters. I've been in here too long. It's good for COVID. Fetch the bolt cutters. I've been in here too long. There's another great song. Um, it's just such a glorious album. I use my feet to crush the leaves like a fountain piece just for me. Just potential. Shamika said I had potential. Shamika said I had potential. Why is she such a genius? I can't take it. Um, Fiona and I used to play old Largo, as we call it, in Los Angeles. Any Hard Stern fans out there? Largo! We used to play it um, when it was this tiny little restaurant on uh, Fairfax, right near Melrose Avenue. She's really sweet, and I met her a few times. Um... But God, when she made that speech in the 90s when she won some kind of music award and she was like, just so everyone knows this whole industry and all this fame stuff is bullshit, people were like, how dare she not um, kiss every rock critic's ass for anointing her this and that. And and uh, I remember being like, she's fucking right. She's the truth, man. And, you know, I just want the younger people to know we've always had cool people in our generation. <laughs> for those of you who think we're all these establishment people, oh, I wish you understood us. You got Gen X so fucking wrong. Anyway, this is COVID corner, not Gen X corner. So, you know, that's what's going on. Talked to my mom the other day. She said, I know the story via podcast. I'm like, all right, well, let's just calm down for a minute. She goes, now my mom's mad at the police. She's, she, she's like, I, ice cube up in here, you know? She's like, uh, I guess my parents' power went out. And, you know, they don't have a cell phone. So sometimes, you know, when there's an emergency in L.A., I get this text alert or this. And they've got flip phones and, the, you know, the landline was dead. And it, ugh, it worries me. I cannot get them into technology. It's never going to happen. So I don't know. My dad called the police station. Now, my dad's like friends with the police. Like, you know, him and the police have had a relationship for 50 years because he's the greenskeeper of the golf course. And that's where all the shenanigans go on around town. You know, kids setting off fireworks. Oh, here come the police. And so... 
you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, well, Charlie at the station is retired. And so he's dealing with all these young people, these young police. And he was like, yeah, um, our electricity went out and we're, we're elderly. So we don't really have any information like, you know, and I think it was like a weekend night. So I don't think the power company was open or maybe they didn't think to call the power company. And the police goes, so that's not our job. And I'm, my mom was like, well, your father doesn't stand up for himself. So he just went, oh, okay, and hung up. And I said, well, what did they say? And then he told me, and I said, that is, they're the police of a small town. They're supposed to be of comfort to people and the elderly, you know. So my mom goes to the grocery store. I'm like, How, would you just stop on the fucking grocery store? I have to make a mental note to somehow figure out sending them food. Anyway, um, Oh, if they get sick from going to the grocery store, I'll, 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 I won't, I won't forgive myself. So she goes, well, I saw a policeman at the grocery store, you know, just on, on duty. And I said, excuse me, my husband called the other day. It was because that power went out and we, we're, we're elderly. We didn't really know what was going on. We just wanted to see if there's anything we should know. And, you know, one of your fellow officers was very rude, and he, he said, that's not our job. Now, if you're someone that works in any industry and someone comes up to you and says, hey, one of your coworkers was rude, don't you get that kind of like, oh, I'll be the hero here and be like, well, I am so sorry they said that. Uh, you know, but he goes, well, he's right. It's not our job. And my mother was like, you're rude. I said to him. <laughs> I go, mom, that is some, that is some white woman shit. We go up to cops and we're like, excuse us, fuck you, and nothing happens. I said, but, you know, hey, maybe that's a good, a good use of white privilege is uh, telling off the police. <laughs> so my mom was like, well, I mean, I said, well, no, they, they should be kind to old people and they should be like, listen, that we really can't do anything about it. We get a lot of calls about stuff that isn't related to us, which takes up time on the phone lines, but here's the number of the power department or don't worry. Do you need anything? Do you feel safe? You know, something. Fucking police. I go, you sure you want me to say that on my podcast? Because they're going to know what town you're in. Oh, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I am not scared of the police. <laughs> there you go. So that's my mom's recent COVID uh, extravaganza. She's still telling people off on the street. Um, I was... Uh, complaining on Twitter about people not wearing masks and this woman, and I was complaining about how families don't, feeling superior, of course, and this woman was like, you're a neurotic spinster. I'm like, well, it's literally what I am. Um, extremely neurotic, it's diagnosed, and spinster means someone who, you know, back in the day, a woman in her 20s who made her own money uh, from spinning her yarn. So I'm not no longer in my 20s, but uh, I'm certainly a neurotic spinster, thank you. Um, it's always funny when someone older and right wing comes after me because it's almost delightful what they say. Like it never hurts. But uh, everyone's like, that should be your next comedy special. I'm like, if there was one. God, I got enough material for 10 comedy specials. But, you know, I've aged out of some of the uh, platforms. Okay, but don't worry. I'm not worried about it. I know what I've always had my own weird rhythm to this business and I have a feeling things are going to pop off again when in about five years. I'm, not, I'm totally not kidding. Um, there are cycles, people. There are cycles. So that is sort of my COVID update. Oh, I, I said I was going to talk about a guy at one of my jobs that was really defensive about a divorce party. I'll save that for next week. It's not that great a story. 
But sometimes I'll just write things down that happened during the week. And then I never get to them. But trust me, you're not missing out on anything. So I was going to read an article about how people can't be alone with their own thoughts. And I remember, I remember uh, saving the link to this article, but I don't really remember it. Okay, so this might be something to write in about. I seem fun at gmail.com. I know we had a similar topic that was like, do you have a running monologue in your head? But I think this is different. So I will end the episode reading this article about a new study found people are terrible at sitting alone with their thoughts. Also, if anybody needs a big full document full of articles or, you know, everything from a spiritual bent to a psychology bent, please send me an email, I seem fun at gmail.com and put in the subject heading, I want that anxiety email because I have a newsletter, jenkirkman.com, click Kirk Mail to join, but I don't think there's a giant crossover between my podcast fans and my newsletter people, so I want to offer you that too. So anytime someone's having anxiety with this, I send this form letter, but it's long and full and, and whatever, and take what you want and leave the rest. Some of it's really cheesy. You might think I sound stupid or too woo-woo spiritual. Some of it's very grounded. But I also wanted to let you guys know before we go here that there is um, help out there. I'm going to give you a number to text. Why can't I find it? Huh. Here it is. Um, there is a crisis texting line for people who are having anxiety about corona. You don't have to have corona, obviously. Um, you can text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. That's in the U.S. and Canada. And if you're in the U.K., text HOME to 85258. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of good articles on that website as well that will tell you what other people are doing, you know, how you, what the statistics are of what people are doing to cope or what they're not doing to cope. And there's a lot of great reading on there. And then also if you need to text with someone if you're having a very bad anxiety or any anxiety at all, they will help you. So I will end on reading this article. If you want me to read to you, then I'm about to. And again, tell me, are you good at sitting alone with your thoughts? Are you judgmental of people who aren't? I seem fun at gmail.com right in and I'll, and I'll read some of your responses on air and we'll end with this article. This is from PRI.org. A new study found that people are terrible at sitting alone with their thoughts. How about you? This is actually from six years ago, but it was just republished due to, obviously, Corona. In 1654, scientist and philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And now there's some science behind that statement. A recent study in the journal Science found that many people choose to self-administer an electrical shock rather than sit quietly in a room alone with their thoughts. Aaron Westgate, a PhD student in psychology at the University of Virginia, says she hasn't seen Pascal's quote before she and her colleagues conducted the study, but when she first heard it, she laughed hysterically. Our inability to be alone with our thoughts may not be the root of all of our problems, but one thing is certain, 
We are really bad at it, Westgate says, at least under the circumstances that the researchers tested. The researchers brought people into their lab and told them they were going to be asked to sit alone in an empty room for 10 to 20 minutes. They took everything away from them, cell phones, watches, iPods, whatever. Next, they showed the participants some random pictures. Finally, they pointed out a nearby button, which when pressed, would give them an electrical shock. Westgate says they had each participant press the button just for practice and asked them how unpleasant it was and whether they'd pay money not to be shocked again. The participants said the shock was unpleasant, and yes, they would pay money to avoid being shocked again. The researchers then asked the test subjects to sit and entertain themselves with their own thoughts for 10 to 20 minutes. There were only two rules. They weren't allowed to get out of the chair, and they couldn't fall asleep. They encouraged the participants to enjoy themselves with pleasant thoughts. And oh yes, if you'd like to receive an electric shock again, go ahead and press the button. Westgate says the research team had debated this aspect of the study. It was ridiculous, some thought, to think that people would choose to shock themselves. They were astounded by the results. They'd already told us they didn't like the shock. They'd already told us they'd pay not to receive a shock again, says Westgate with bemusement. So we really weren't expecting that people would do that. But at the end of the study, we found that about 70% of the men and 25% of the women chose to shock themselves during that 12 minutes instead of just sitting there and entertaining themselves with their thoughts. Now, the big question is, why would someone do this, she says? Why is it so hard to entertain ourselves with our thoughts that we're willing to turn to almost anything, it seems, to avoid it? They started out with college students, so the researchers wondered if their young subjects were just overly fidgety, not being allowed to tweet or text or check their emails. So they reached out to the wider community for volunteers, and they pretty much got the same results. These were adults far past college age, Westgate says, and we had them sit in their home without the shock, since we weren't there to supervise them, and asked them to do the same thing. Just sit there at a time of their own choosing when they were alone and entertain themselves with their thoughts for 10 to 15 minutes. And again, they were terrible at it. Over half of the participants confessed to cheating. They weren't supposed to get on their phones or talk to other people, but over half said they had. And those were just the ones who were honest with us, Westgate says. This line of research started with a whole different question, which was, how can we help people think better? Westgate explains, what we found to our surprise is that people really can't do this very well at all. Our question changed to, what's going on here? Perhaps it is an issue of mental control, she speculates. Most people often get lost in thought while walking down the street, taking a shower, or remembering a recent vacation. So it's not that we can never enjoy thinking, she says, but something about doing it on command at a certain time and deliberately is really, really hard, which suggests that it may be an issue of mental control. It may be that our minds are not designed to withdraw from the environment, to withdraw from the people around us, and to focus inwards, she says. 
they did find a very, very small correlation between people who had experience with meditation and the ability to do the kind of thinking tested in the study, but Westgate says that didn't explain the results. It wasn't the key they were looking for. Maybe if they focused specifically on people with more meditation experience, they would get different results, she wonders. So how hard is this really? It must vary a great deal based on temperament and life experience, right? So try it at home. All you need is a timer and an empty room. Hey, and let me know how you do. I seem fun at gmail.com. Until next week, have fun.